You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 186 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. It's a very nice sunny day today so I decided to record the intro and outro of this podcast outside on my porch. Because why the hell not? Now... If you are a regular listener to the podcast, you might have noticed that I've started a little series that rears its head now and then, when you least expect it. And this series is called The Great Mindfuck with Alexandro. These are short bits about specific topics. However, we did one that turned out to be too long and therefore I think it should be the only thing you hear in this episode. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. I learned that I'd better get used to having to pick between a douche and a turd sandwich because it's usually the choice I'll have. He's going to vote! In this one we are discussing uh, governments, systems of rule, democracy, anarchy and most importantly we are going to talk about parenting. After all it's all related. Most people like to call the elite and the leaders we have, uh, they like to call it the patriarchy. But uh, what they are, are parental systems. They are parenting us citizens. We are their children. And uh, in a way we are adopted by force. So that's why we also, uh, in a way, go into the micro and the macrocosm of parenting. Because I also have a daughter and I am also a parent so basically what I'm getting at have you ever asked yourself who's your daddy welcome to the great mindfuck with Alexandro So here we are again. Thank you for uh, taking part. It's my pleasure. I'm getting pleasure out of this. Uh, it's a temporary fix, but it gets the job done. 
So how you how you doing? I'm doing good, and I, I have this thing I I want to bring up. I remember many years ago when uh, uh, we had all those different presidents that people were upset about, and then finally this Obama came, and everybody was talking about change and this is different and you fast forward eight years and now it's back to what it was before according to these people and then if you fast forward again a few years I'm sure there's going to be a new one that has new change and uh, my uh, position is always there's there's no change it's just more of the same it's just different uh, you know is the emperor's new clothes. And uh, it's funny to me that uh, uh, people always think that the new thing is going to make a change, but I always say that uh, you can't change a system with the system that created the system, you know, that that's a, a loop that you can never get out of. If, if the problem is the system, then you can't change it with that system. You know, you have if a comp- you can't fix a computer if it's broken with th- that computer. You have to use another computer to fix. Um, we probably should move away from all these different forms of government, whether it be no government or a or a dictatorship. Maybe that's different than those dictatorships of the past. Okay, first of all, I have uh, an interesting point to interject here. For most people, it's common sense that if they want to effect some sort of what they perceive as change, uh, you know, quote-unquote change, uh, they try and try and try, and eventually they sort of get this uh, revelation that in order to effect change, they have to, uh, you know, get inside the system and do it from within the system. And uh, they may start out as idealistic, but once they get in the system, they inevitably become... uh, well, we know what they become. So, uh, in order to get things done, uh, we generally have to take a one one eighty degree turn, like make a complete uh, turnaround, to make a U turn, so to speak, from what is commonly accepted or acceptable. And how is it possible for someone who has ideas or is idealistic and wants to really bring some value and some, you know, some relief to suffering? to really do some good stuff, how can someone like that do it from outside the system? Because it seems to me that, historically speaking, everyone who started out as idealistic eventually comes to the conclusion that you can only affect change from within the system, and then they manage to enter the system, and then the system basically uh, <laughs> takes over them and they become the system, and the change is like long gone. So how do we even address this conundrum, in your view? Well, I don't know, everybody does it differently, but uh, those people who enter the system and uh, want to remain in that mindset of entering the system, so to change it and not get caught up in the system, as you say, if those people, I don't know, regularly drop acid or something, I don't know, I don't know, this is the only way to, I guess, uh, for the normal person to uh, just get pulled away from the ridiculousness of, of all these systems. Yeah, but you can drop acid and still be a, a poor, hungry asshole. So maybe this is not a, like a universal cure-all. I mean, uh, maybe like doing acid or doing ayahuasca, maybe like 
uh, an opening experience, it doesn't necessarily, in my view at least, make you a more uh, incorruptible person. Uh, it um, what what it brings to mind is the French Revolution or the mindfuck known as, as the French Revolution, where uh, uh, we had some very noble ideals like uh, liberté, égalité, fraternité, and uh, if you don't like it, la guillotine. Okay, so uh, it's like coercion. It's not like it's some noble ideals, but if you don't like equality, fraternity, and uh, what was the third? For uh, in liberty, then your only other option is the guillotine. I have a side thing. I don't know if it's relevant, but uh, uh, when they invented the guillotine, a whole class of workers actually lost their jobs. The the hangman, and uh, they were actually the untouchables, and they had held a lot of power in society because uh, people were so afraid of them. So when the guillotine came, they basically, like, and they had to interbreed with each other because you couldn't touch them. So uh, they were, like, inbred, and uh, they eventually died off. It was kind of like a lineage which, which the guillotine killed. Did, couldn't they like take a professional, you know, a course uh, in, in guillotine uh, handling? <laughs> well, you only need one person and a guillotine, you know, like... Uh, because um, the usually when you executed somebody, it was a partnership and you worked with the person that you were going to execute. Because, and usually it involved torture as well because you had to torture them for blasphemy or something. But the guill guillotine was so quick and easy and machine-like and you could never fail I mean it never failed like when you chop off a head with a sword or an axe it's more difficult than you think so there was some skill involved but the guillotine I mean you can hire any idiot for pennies why why hire a more expensive hangman you know first of all my heart goes out to the hangman and their families for <laughs> uh, <laughs> for becoming homeless and uh, maybe it's one of the first steps in uh, in making a process semi-automatic. Like it's maybe one of the signs of industrialization. Uh, and we made like a, a, an assembly line, even of executions. Uh, what used to be an art form, like chopping off heads, I, not everyone can do it. You have to like do it right. And the guillotine made this uh, talent obsolete because it made it industrialized. So it's like a semi-automatic machine takeover. And maybe that's the direction we're heading. And how does this apply? How does the guillotine, that's an interesting philosophical question and equally interesting mindfuck. How is the guillotine connected to the authority and function of government? The guillotine is an archetype, not necessarily as the actual tool. Well, there's a part of me that uh, maybe not, not if it's connected, but it would be nice to bring back the guillotine and just like just clean up the governments. <laughs> well, in, a, in the French Revolution, those who uh, promoted the guillotine eventually ended up uh, being executed by it, like uh, Robespierre and his fellows. So, in in a way, they you know they lived by the sword and died by the sword. Uh, to go biblical. Uh, so are you, uh, I, I don't think you're actually advocating like killing, you know, the government. I have a friend who actually has a good idea. He, he, they, when a, uh, when a leader or a, or a politician gets elected, they have to sign a contract that basically states that if they don't 
only do what they said they would do or try to do when they were elected, they go to prison. Yeah, but uh, don't you think it's a bit naive? I mean, people can make promises, uh, but, you know, it, it never turns out. I mean, there's always new variables enter entering the scene and even the most noble intended politician uh, will uh, encounter some resistance and some factors that are not dependent on, on him or her. So, uh, you know, you can make promises. So maybe the best way is not to make any promises. Well, the, we're getting back to this thing I said before that actually we can think of thousands of ways to improve or change the system. But as I said before, I think you can't fix the system. <laughs> I mean, the system is unfixable if you want to change it within the system. You know. So in this case, <clears throat> uh, what is the alternative? Before Actually, before I'm asking the, this question, uh, I did have something in mind when I asked you about the connection between government and the guillotine, because all governments, without exception, they can only exist uh, because uh, they have at their disposal uh, the threat of uh, exercising, implementing violence. I mean, basically, if we strip everything down to, to the core, uh, all of us are being basically governed at gunpoint. Because if you do something that's allegedly illegal, uh, or if you don't, you know, pay the the taxes, or if you don't, uh, you know, comply with the regulations, eventually uh, some sort of armed forces will show up at your doorstep uh, with the threat of using violence, basically either kidnap you in the form of arrest or, uh, you know, uh, charge you or rob you in the form of taxes or uh, or even like kill you in, you know, because you didn't comply. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, if you just stop paying uh, a tax bill, for instance, and then you don't pay the uh, reminder fees and all that, and then eventually they come to re repossess your house. And if you refuse to have it taken away from you, then yes, then you would be escorted away. <laughs> so uh, in this sense, the guillotine never went away. It's it's just uh, yet another application of the same principle that government cannot exist without the perpetual threat of violence. You can only govern at gunpoint. You can only govern by, uh, if people are afraid of being uh, killed, arrested, uh, taxed, whatever. So people would just comply so that they, you know, please don't hit me. Please don't take my money. Please don't take more than, you know, because, uh, I mean, you, you, you buy, for example, you buy a house and for some reason you don't pay your property taxes, taxes, and then you get to find out who the house really belongs to. Okay. It never belonged to you. Same thing about buying land. I mean, did you even know that uh, when you don't pay your property taxes in Canada, you get a letter from the British Crown? So uh, those who own the guns and those who own the land are, uh, are you know, the owners. And they can only maintain this at gunpoint via the threat of violence. So the guillotine or the hangman uh, never really went away. So uh, government can only uh, be uh, functional 
by exhibiting force. Without force, uh, government will be like completely inefficient and it will just collapse. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and uh, racism is never allowed uh, these days. I mean, it's usually not good manners, but there's uh, one type of racism that is almost acceptable in most countries, and that's uh, that's uh, it's okay to dislike gypsies. But for me, I, I, there's this thing about gypsies that I really like. I like the fact that they, they just go wherever they want, and they just take whatever they want, and they, they just completely don't give a fuck about any of these systems. And uh, sometimes they can manipulate their way uh, and still not get uh, uh, caught, or but often they do, I guess. But I like the fact that they can just go somewhere, take over, and then they, you know, like the complete anarchy in that sense. And maybe that's why some governments are feeling threatened by gypsy culture, because they see them maybe as competition. <laughs> Uh, this being said, I, I mean, uh, the whole gypsy thing you're talking about, uh, I've been to some extent exposed to uh, gypsy uh, culture and, uh, it's, it's a completely different mentality than, than, you know, traditional so-called Western values. And, um, it's, it's a way of life. If uh, it's, a, it's, it's a modus operandi, it's, it's a way of behaving, if it's a way of perceiving and, uh, for them, it's like you're being educated that this is right and this is wrong, and they're being educated in their own culture that this is right and this is wrong. And we can't have a black and white right and wrong. Uh, some people claim they do, but we already know you already know what I think about truth and absolute facts. Uh, and this being said, uh, there's also a few like horrible things that I've heard about in uh, gypsy culture that sometimes they mutilate their children at birth so they can be better beggars to exert more uh, empathy or emotion from people on the street. So, uh, but this is also a cultural aspect and you can't really, I mean, if you if you want to be completely detached and so-called scientific about it, uh, you cannot be emotionally involved. You have to understand this in the cultural context. Yeah, to be fair also, to say gypsy is like saying white people. There's like thousands of different gypsies you know like uh, yeah i mean it also depends on the tribe on where they're from on you know their leaders current leadership it's uh, the politics are not so different the mentality may be different like you have you have different mentalities in eastern europe and western europe it's like almost day and night even if though even even though it's the same continent and if you go to america you also encounter a very different mentality even though it appears to be a similar european like culture it isn't really so uh, even though people are the same, uh, their religions, meaning their perception of selves and of nationality, they vary greatly from with geography and with ethnicity. And uh, going back to we all grew up with different narratives and stories that we believe we believe ourselves to be. But uh, going back to government, uh, we saw that government can uh, only be uh, maintained by force. And uh, and people have started almost to rationalize their government. Uh, and one of the most common um, rationalizations is if we didn't, I mean, government isn't ideal, of course, it's not perfect, but if we didn't have government, there would be chaos. And it's not necessarily telling us something about government, it's telling about something about people. 
so what in your opinion does it tell us about the people who say such things um that they can't be trusted <laughs> because uh i mean i always like i always claim that it's illegal to rape but why would i rape somebody if it's just because it's legal or not legal it's not has nothing to do with the law you know like if people only the only reason they don't rape and kill is because it's illegal, then those people are psychopaths, you know? <laughs> uh, well, I would say that most people would not really, like, really rape or kill uh, if there uh, <clears throat> weren't laws against it. But then again, I wouldn't know. Uh, I mean, we can look at countries who've been like very cultural and peaceful, and once at some point the leadership changed and there was like mass propaganda of completely different ideas and the whole nation became, uh, you know, uh, brainwashed and violent and murderous and uh, don't have to give you examples like a peaceful nation can turn warlike and a warlike nation can turn peaceful and it all depends on the current uh, predominant narrative. And this is also one major topic of mindfuck because uh, the the population as, you know, as a group, uh, they've always been fucked but by the prevailing narrative, the one that gets the most PR the one that gets the most propaganda, the one, to use an alchemical term, the one that has the most ingress, the one that, you know, fucks you the deepest, uh, mentally, emotionally. So that's why charismatic leaders, they can get away with a lot of things and they can create almost a new religion, a new belief system, which will make people behave sometimes even in ways that are completely opposite to their previous natures, which only goes to show us that the self is a very malleable and programmable story. It's not something fixed. The self can change according to the prevailing narrative that it's being indoctrinated with or to be more direct, fucked by. So uh, charismatic leaders can be uh, very influential in changing people's perception of self. So uh, all this being said, if people feel the need to be governed because they can't be trusted to govern themselves and to be responsible, uh, and if we can't have a true, genuine anarchy, which people often misunderstand this term, maybe I think you've done like many podcasts on the topic already, but anarchy basically means without rulers. Not without rules, but without rulers, without any super supreme authority to decide what to do. Uh, but most people are not ready for genuine uh, anarchy, so democracy obviously is uh, kind of fucked up and it takes forever to get things done. So what would be, in your view, the most reasonable alternative? Well, it could be uh, this thing where you mix up democracy and dictatorship, so you basically, maybe you elect a dictator for a certain amount of time and uh, just gets things done and then you pick another one so you don't have to do all these tedious decisions. Okay, so uh, we should have elections for dictators. Yeah. Okay, this is not a novelty, by the way. I mean, before the Roman Empire, Rome was a republic and they used to have like uh, a senate and uh, they used to just talk and talk and talk and talk and of course the senate was always... Uh, only composed of uh, of nobility and uh, landowners and uh, a certain class, uh, but uh, it was still a sort of democracy. 
and they were just debating and debating and debating. And at some point, the debating and the endless, you know, bickering and arguing uh, just didn't get stuff done anymore. So at critical points, uh, the Roman Republic used to appoint a dictator for uh, a period of, like, say, like four or five years. And there were a few such dictators. I don't remember their names right now, but it all happened during the Roman Republic and not during the and before the Roman Empire, before the first emperor was uh, Augustus, and not like many people think Caesar. Uh, he wasn't actually emperor. Uh, but before Caesar, during the day of the Republic, this is something that the Romans actually did. When things got tough, they elected a dictator for a limited period of time who just got things done. And when things got done, they returned to the usual debate and uh, parliamentary uh, discussions. Actually, there were certain times when they elected two two dictators. At the same time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, if they can work together, that's, I guess that's fine. Uh, and what do you think about this sort of rule, this sort of dictatorship? I think uh, the experience of base reality should be fun. So I, I, I actually am leaning towards another concept more where you, every X amount of years, you have a lottery and you just pick a person randomly between the age of this and that and whoever you pick from the population becomes the dictator for X amount of years and sometimes you get a bastard sometimes you get a genius sometimes you get somebody who doesn't know anything and I think it'd just be fun to to see to experience that so I, I think it should be a lottery a lottery well um do you think it's a smart idea? I don't know. It, it's it's fun. <laughs> if you just to take America for as an example, I mean, how many? Is it like three, four hundred million people in America, and the two options you come up with is Hillary and Donald Trump? I'm sure if you had a lottery, whoever won by random can't be worse, you know. Well, uh, I don't know really. I mean. Let's say there's one person that you really dislike, like maybe one of your neighbors or one of your, you know, colleagues or, and it just happened that this person also hates your guts and they become dictator. Well, if it's a lottery, always remember that uh, you have a chance to win as well. <laughs> yeah, but uh, why leave things to chance? Do you believe in leaving things to chance? Do you leave things in your life to chance? Would you do a lottery on your life? I mean, that's a proper question to ask yourself. I think the most sane thing would probably be to just have the whole system leaderless and you just have a committee and then they go, okay, we need to build a road and then they publish it in an app and then everybody can just log in and vote and just like make decisions like that with apps, maybe. Yeah, but we're going again to, to a different type of democracy when everybody has a voice and, you know, people who are not like even able to govern themselves, get to have a voice about how other people should be living. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of fucked up. No, I, I can't have that. No, for me, it's a big no. I mean, let's say you've you've created this forum. It's called Alchemy Forums. And you've said more than once that it is not a democracy, that it is a dictatorship. I'm, I'm getting to a point. And uh, this is one of the forums that actually had a very long lifespan. And it's still online after more than 10 years. And it's still well managed, and uh, it's not like huge, but uh, 
it's uh, it survived many years and it's not uh, infested by trolls and it's not and subjects are still easily searchable and it still maintains some sort of coherence and civilized dialogue and if you look at other forums they're full of trolls and badly managed and people are just you know uh, cursing and trolling and using logical fallacies on each other all the time and uh, and and they're managed in a different way. They're managed in a more like relaxed or maybe more democratic way, but it ends up like chaotic because people are left to their own devices. They feel like, you know, it's a public service and it's their right to do whatever the fuck they want, no matter what the consequences are. And whenever you try to, you know, explain to them that, you know, you should behave in a more civilized way, then they start complaining that, oh, it's censorship, my freedom of speech. And, uh, and you have proclaimed a different approach. Like this is a dictatorship. There's no like, uh, you know, agenda, except, you know, basically be kind to each other and, you know, respect other people's views and keep a civilized tone and don't troll and don't like, don't be a bully. It's like very, very simple ground rules. It's not that complicated. And people are still complaining about that. People still think that it's some sort of a public service. They don't realize that, for example, that you are paying for it. I'm talking about the forum specifically. They don't realize that you are paying for it, that you initiated it, that you are paying it for it every year, uh, that it's a private enterprise or a private endeavor. And people sign up and they think it's like a public service, that that should be that they should be like allowed to, you know, have a say in how things are run. And and your reply in many cases is this is not a democracy. Well, there, there's one big uh, difference from that and so society, I guess, if you make a dictatorship. Well, it's not a difference, but there's one thing, aspect to it that's important, and that's it's it's voluntary to join. You know, then that's why it's okay that it's a dictatorship because nobody is forced to be there. So if society was a dictatorship, but it's voluntary to be part of it, that's a whole different. Then I don't have a problem with it. Okay, and I think, you know what? I think we're getting somewhere here. I think that if you create something like a, a forum or a or an enterprise or an estate or even a system, God forbid, <laughs> uh, that seems to work and is valuable and there are a few very simple, you know, house rules to adhere to that are not eventually, that not even so complicated, uh, and joining is on a voluntary basis, you know, you receive like the protection of the state and all you have to do in return is to respect the very simple and common sense ground rules. And, you know, you can, if you don't respect them, you're just, you know, exiled or, and also nobody's keeping you there by force. And would this thing be like doable in so-called real life? Well, I always claim that like, I don't have a problem with the current society and democracy I live in if they just added the thing that it's voluntary, that uh, maybe I would even be part of it, I don't know, but I, if they just made it, you know, so you could choose. So if I would choose not to be take part in it, then, you know, then I would have to pay for everything and I would be have to I would be left to my own devices, but then that would be my choice. I don't like this thing where because I called the government and asked them and, and also looked into the law. And, and basically, the social contract is signed at birth. So how can you sign something when you're born? You know, you should, like, when you turn 18, you have a ritual where you uh, 
are given the social contract to read and then you sign it or don't sign it. And then you can always also in the future uh, decide to uh, close your account, if you so to speak. Yeah, but it's rigged because if you don't, if you like uh, fall back on your agreement or on your pseudo agreement, because you never really agreed to it when you were like just born, then uh, you lose the so-called uh, privileges that the government gives you. Like, you know, the right to a passport, the right to travel. I mean, you become like stateless and uh, you can't really like open a bank account and have money and, uh, you know, basically even rent a home. So theoretically, yes, you can detach yourself from the system by uh, retracting all your previous agreements and declaring them null and void. But it will also mean renouncing all those so-called privileges of, you know, traveling and passport and uh, pseudo ownership and bank accounts and basically maintaining and sustaining yourself so it's kind of a trap no i mean like in a in a imaginary version you you could like uh, still live in the society you just like if you want a passport uh you just have to pay like more than everybody else for it or something like that this brings me to an interesting question, which is also in the same line of our general topic of mindfuck. How did the governments convince the population that they are so needed? And for that matter, not just governments, how, you know, the governments, the banks, the central banks, uh, all the people who have this illusion of being in control of things, how did they convince, how did they perform this amazing mindfuck on billions of people that they have this legitimacy to be sort of in charge. How did they manage that? Um, it must be generational from that when you raise your children, I mean, it must come from parent to child, you know, because it's a microcosm of the parental guidance of the government, you know. Okay, um, this... Uh this bit may turn a bit longer than uh, usual, but uh, I have a model, suggested suggested model for that, and you can even see it today, uh, not only across uh, all of history. Um, generally, people are most impressionable and uh, malleable and influenceable between the ages of like four, five, and 2930. And uh, these are the ages uh, that are most targeted by basically everyone. When you are between 4 or 5 and 2930, 30 something, you are targeted, of course, by kindergartens, schools, uh, universities, uh, the academia. You are targeted by most commercials, are targeted at more or less at those age groups, you know, 20s, mid-20s, late-20s, even early-30s. Beyond that, you become less and less relevant uh, because you've already become uh, fully indoctrinated and you're already full of baggage and you already acquired the habit of acquiring more baggage without needing uh, help from the outside. So, uh, like, let's take an example in, in uh, World War II Germany when, uh, when Hitler came to power, he came to power in 1933, but he only went to war in 1939 because the years between 33 and 39 were 
very much invested in indoctrinating the youngest generation. All those who were like uh, 12 years old in 33 were 18, 18 years old in 39, which means ready to bear arms and go to war. So you catch them in the pre-puberty state, you cannot take over a nation and go to war as is with a whole new ideology. You have to indoctrinate the young ones first, the ones that are going to, to go to the actual fight and die in those, all those stupid wars. So you have to indoctrinate the young generation. And this indoctrination is, is happening through the schooling system, through, through media, through the academia, uh, and through uh, advertisement. I mean, all the, the fashion, the trends, they're all, most of them are targeted at audiences between uh, four or five years old and, and late 20s, early 30s, because they are the most uh, influenceable, the most uh, impressionable, and uh, the most open to this sort of indoctrination. And if even if we did not have uh, the, the schooling system or the uh, media or the advertisement, uh, this job would still be done by the parents who indoctrinate us, believing it's you know for our own good, but all they do is uh, pass on to us the same baggage they received from their parents. So instead of receiving wisdom and the ability to think for ourselves, we're receiving from our parents a set of rules, regulations, and basically the same baggage passed on from one generation to another, which is basically a baggage of fear and conformity and, you know, don't step out of the line and, you know, don't, 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 don't. Basically our own set of religious commandments coming not from God, but from our God substitutes being our uh, parental bodies. So we, it's very difficult to escape this sort of indoctrination when you are in this age group and once you are done with being part of this age group, most people are already fully indoctrinated. So you can go to most of them and, and you, it'll be like knock, knock, but you know, lights on, but nobody home. And it's very difficult to, uh, to deprogram oneself after you've been through all these uh, wheels of the machine. And this is how uh, government or the system, so to speak, uh, enforces its ways and convinced us to believe uh, that it has a right to rule and we have to obey. So in most cases, in modern governments, uh, the uh, initiation of violence is almost not even necessary anymore. The indoctrination, the propaganda does most of the work. So maybe before we think about uh, alternative ways uh, of governing or, uh, you know, of lotteries of who should be like the king for a year, maybe we should start uh, like a, you know, like I always like to say, start with the man in the mirror and start to deprogram ourselves ourselves from all the baggage, from all the, the programming, from all the indoctrinations, from all the propaganda, from all the inhibitions that have been almost like burned into our, the core of our being since early childhood. And it's not an easy task, but it is very much worthwhile. Uh, and it's horrifying when you begin this process to realize how much crap you carry inside you that is holding you back from like shining in your true glory. And it's all this crap that needs to go where it belongs, which is the fucking toilet and the fucking drain. And we are basically not the sum of our qualities, but the sum of our inhibitions, the sum of our baggage, the sum of our brainwashing, the sum of 
are like mindfuck is can also be seen as a sort of rape and even if we're not being physically raped as children like mental pedophilia is is like not only common it's like the norm so i know i'm saying some harsh words here but you know pedophilia which is mind fucking children has become the norm in our society and i personally see it as a kind of rape legitimized rape i know it sounds a bit harsh but what is your take on that yeah i, I agree uh, i'm about to send my child very soon to uh, daycare and even though i picked one that's very different than the standard daycares it's still uh, a bit uh, you know sweaty <laughs> you know worried about the, what indoctrination is going to happen you know yeah that's a good point i mean you you could have a lot more insight on this about your feelings as a father that your child is soon uh, going to be of age so to speak to be ready to start her indoctrination how do you feel about that as a, as a father as someone who's been, you have you yourself have been through these cycles of indoctrination, and from knowing you, I I knew you did a pretty fucking damn good job at, you know, deprogramming yourself to a large extent, uh, and so did I. Uh, but uh, how do you feel as a father knowing that your child uh, is going to enter the machine? I think. Uh... You have to, I think the biggest mistake most parents do is they don't uh, provide enough open guidance, not telling them what to do, but like, uh, you know, helping them formulate their own idea about things and then giving them the tools to to deprogram themselves earlier than I did because I didn't have anyone who did that for me. Um, so I think that's a big uh, difference. But I always joke that uh, I always make this joke that uh, my daughter is in school and the teacher is talking about some politician or somebody, and uh, my child raises her hand and says, "Excuse me, but my father said that that person is a cunt." <laughs> okay, and how do you think that they're gonna that the colleagues who will be just as brainwashed? by their parents as they are by the school, how do you think they will make her feel? Uh, maybe for a few times she'll raise her hand and say, yeah, my daddy says this person is a cunt. And and they're going to put her down and they're not going to like, and they're going to shame her for that. And they're going to feel make her feel an outcast. Yeah, no, it's just a joke. Naturally, she will want to belong and she will come back home to you. And daddy, what you told me is bullshit because I said it and people are laughing at me. And I feel bad, and they made me cry. So stop telling me those things, because I want to be like everyone else. People want to belong, right? So there's going to be a clash of, of of narratives between what you are teaching her and the prevailing narrative in in the system. So how are you going to deal with that clash? Because it is going to happen. No, I actually, I it's a joke, but I I I would be teaching her more this way, where the teacher is talking about something, and uh, I would teach her to go, why or how do you know that? <laughs> and if, you know, if you keep asking, because I did that in school, I kept asking those two questions. And after a few years, I realized that these people, they don't know anything and they're just repeating something from some book 
and uh, so the more you question your teachers then uh, you you can kind of find a good teacher because a good teacher would uh, say uh, a reply that uh, you know makes more sense than just stop asking questions <laughs> this is almost turning into an entire podcast because it's i think it's a very relevant topic for many people who are also parents who are listening to this how can we really uh maybe not avoid but minimize the, the damages of systemic indoctrination and uh programming of the children of this uh, this institute i call it institutionalized rape because for me this is mindfuck and fuck is fuck so for me it, it is just as bad as rape rape of the mind what can a parent do to if not avoid then at least minimize i just think he ha it has to be involved a lot I, i mean i remember going through all my school years i mean i didn't see anybody else's parents being that involved in their children and uh, the less usually like bullies is a good example a bully their parents were less involved in their lives than the people who were the victims of the bully you know that's why they're a bully you know so i think the parents role is quite important and the, the more uh, uh ins inspiration to to think for yourself and the more emotionally safe you feel at home that you can say anything and uh, i think that's that goes a long way uh i um, it sounds good to me i would add one extra ingredient uh, something you've been talking about quite a bit uh if you teach your child certain things in the privacy of your home uh that may clash with what uh the child learned uh, at school or in the system i think you should also teach them as a parent you should teach them stealth like the stuff you're learning at home you know pretend like you're like everyone else learn the art of stealth the art of camouflage because i think it's a it's like the missing ingredient to manage to to uh induce in your child like an open mind and an, uh, a questioning nature but also teaching him or her uh, the art of stealth, the art of not revealing their uh, motivation and their knowledge. Like, you know, it's okay sometimes to play dumb. Don't let them know your real power. And, you know, if you want to be socially accepted and you can play a certain role, just know that it is not who you are, okay? Nobody can tell you who you are and what you are. So if you teach them all these things and add some teaching about, you know, stealth. It's not a total solution, but I, I would call it like a damn good start. If you want to check out Andro's work as a shaman and a healer, surf over to hermeticvision.com. Divine Mystery.
join us at patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. Support the podcast and you will receive all the glory of the universe, as well as my eternal thanks. You can find a link at the website. Freedom is in the mind. On occasion I played and quoted the scientist Rupert Sheldrake and recently I discovered that his son makes music. And his name is Cosmo Sheldrake and I've already played Cosmo Sheldrake before on the podcast but I want to play some more tracks by him. And this one is called Egg and Soldiers from the album The Much Much, How How and I. Go to cosmosheldrake.com to check it out. Okay, enough uh, blabbering. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you enjoy the next one coming in a week. Take it easy and uh, as always, freedom is in the mind. I was looking over at my shoulder Only thinking of the short term The time was looking back to me an egg and soldier Then I sit a little longer On a blanket made for three Search for heaven underground It was lost but now it's found He drank the ocean Play my menace now Suffering for save us now He climbed the hill but then fell down He climbed the hill but then fell down Looking over at my shoulder Only thinking of the short term Time was looking back to me Every day I eat an egg and soldier Then I sit a little longer On a blanket made for three Yeah.